podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Guys, holy shit, it's me. I'm back, it's Grant KSU. I broke out of the gulag. The Russians captured me and they tortured me and starved me, but I didn't break. And I got out because of a brave rescue from none other than Scott Wildcat and, of course, Steven Seagal. But I have bad news, you guys. They caught Scott. You know he's not the fastest runner and, well, they caught him pretty easily, to be fair. But as they say, the show must go on. So welcome back to the Bosco's Boys podcast. I am Grant, your host, and this is part one of the Opposing Fan series. As we inch closer to the season, we will be talking to a fan or someone connected to each opponent in the order of our schedule. For part one, Scott will be gone as he is trapped in the gulag, but Steven Seagal and I will try to regroup and break him out for part two and three. That's enough of me. Let's get into it, starting with the University of South Dakota. Welcome to the Bosco's Boys Podcast. Jerry, thanks for coming on. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us who you're representing. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Jay Elson. I work for uh, a regional sports network based out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota called Midco Sports Network. And uh, what my job is is to uh, handle the play-by-play um, for the University of South Dakota football, basketball, volleyball, everything that we do uh, with USD. Um, and I've been doing that a while and uh, and having a lot of fun with it. So you're essentially the voice of the Coyotes. Voice, face, depending on how you want to look at it. Yeah, I guess, I mean, they've got their own radio guy and all that. But um, So we're a third-party deal that we've got a contract with uh, the University of South Dakota to broadcast their games. Uh, we used to do a coach's show as well, but uh, we've, we've kind of reconfigured some things. So it's not actually a coach's show. We cover a lot of the same things in very similar ways. It's just not its own uh, entity anymore. But uh, been, uh, I have a lot of things that I do uh, at different points during the year, but, but USD is, is my primary focus, and uh, I've been doing that since uh, 2012. So a uh, long time already. Hard to believe it's been as long as it has, but uh, like I said before, having a lot of fun with it and uh, have enjoyed watching this program progress at the Division One level. They haven't been there very long. No, they haven't. Um, give us a brief like summary history of how you kind of came into your current position. Well, I uh, went to school uh, in uh, the Twin Cities, a little private school called Northwestern College at the time. Now it's called the University of Northwestern hyphen St. Paul, so they've changed that. But uh, when I was there, it was Northwestern College. I graduated with a, a degree in um, electronic media, um, broadcasting electronic media. And uh, uh, from there, I, I moved on to Mankato, Minnesota, which is actually one of the smallest television markets in the country uh, for my first full-time gig out of school. Uh, I think it was like 199 out of 211. So, I mean, real, real small shop. But it was unique uh, in that um, it, it had Minnesota Vikings training camp. That was the, the biggest thing that we did there every year. And so it, while it was a very small market, it didn't necessarily always have that feel because of some of the things that um, we got to cover with with training camp. And then, of course, proximity to the Twin Cities, only about an hour and a half south of there. Um, and, and so we were constantly going up north to cover bigger things 
than a normal small, small market would. Uh, so I did that uh, for about 19 months, uh, and then I moved over to Sioux Falls uh, to, to take on the, the weekend sports job at uh, the CBS affiliate in town here. I uh, did that for a couple of years, was promoted to sports director, uh, did that for a couple more years, uh, and then made the transition. Midco Sports Network uh, uh, was born in 2010, just launched at Midco, Midcontinent Communications, now known as Midco, um, you know, kind of started this project off on their own just to see where it would go, and the thing has really taken off. So just about uh, coming up on my eighth anniversary here at, at Midco Sports Network and, and uh, really been having a, a great time, re- really living a dream here because this is kind of what I always wanted to do. That's awesome, man. Sounds like a, a good time. Sounds like you've kind of been been all over the place a little bit. But um, um, So this is a K-State sports podcast, so I, <laughs> we can kind of transition into our matchup. We've played sure. four times total, our two teams, starting back in 1980. Um, K-State holds a 4-0 record. Last time we played was back in 2015. Mm-hmm. What is, from your side, from your view, what's your perspective of, your perspective of K-State football? Well, it's, you know, it's pretty limited. I mean, I grew up in Big Ten country. I'm a Western Wisconsin native. Um, and, and so I paid attention to the Big 12 um, just because of, you know, generally it was within the same region. And so, uh, you know, kind of had my eye on that league and K-State as part of it um, uh, just to see what was going on to with, with other schools close to where I was growing up and things like that. Um, have gotten a much more uh, close-up vision of it uh, here since I've been in, in South Dakota, obviously, because I'm even closer to that country than I was uh, when I was growing up. And so, right. uh, you know, obviously, you know, it's a program that's got a lot of history, uh, a legendary head coach uh, that's been there a really, really long time and, and done a lot of really good things for that programs in his different stints there. Um, and and so it's it's certainly some uh, a program that, that you hold in high regard. They do things the right way. You don't see them getting in trouble with, uh, with by break, bending or breaking the rules a lot, uh, and and so that you know to me that's a mark of a good program, and, and they've won a lot of games under Bill Snyder, and um, you know a lot to be proud of there in Manhattan, and uh, and, and certainly this will be my second go around. I'll be making the trip down to Manhattan for the game uh, here coming up in September, and uh, it'll be my second trip there. I was there in 2015, um, and, and really looking forward to it. Had a great time, uh, met a lot of uh, really cool people. And uh, they treated us well down there last time, uh, other than on the scoreboard. And uh, so looking forward to, to getting back down there and uh, enjoy. What is uh, the, the downtown scene, Aggieville? Is that what it's called? That's right. It's not, that's yeah. not technically downtown, but that's more of like the bar scene. Gotcha. Well, you know, I mean, I like to uh, venture out and, and just see what every, every college town's got to offer when we make these trips. And so uh, certainly looking forward to getting back down that direction. Uh, for a lot of reasons here right. coming up in what's, uh, you know, now just, what, less than two months now. Yeah, so you've, so you've been in since since 2012, so you've seen one of our matchups. Do you have any, yep. like, standout memories between South Dakota and the K-State game or any memories of Manhattan? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I remember, um, I don't remember what the name of the place was. I'll get to the football game in a minute. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we stopped someplace, and I had some really, really good fried pickles somewhere uh it wasn't too far from our hotel but i can't remember exactly where it was but so the food was good uh that's always fun uh it's part of the you know getting out and, and seeing what all these towns have to offer but as far as the football game it, it made an immediate impact because you guys ran the opening kickoff back like 103 yards for a touchdown and things that were sounds, off and running that away, sounds about so. right <laughs> yep so um 
it, it wasn't a great day on the field for USD. And that being said, and, and the other thing I remember is, is they hurt your quarterback on like the second play of the game. Huber, I think it was. Um, um, or the guy before him. I can't remember. It was Ertz, probably Jesse Ertz. Yeah, he was Ertz, out like the entire right. season. Yes. He went out for, uh, I think he uh, tore his knee. Man, I forgot um, about that. Here. So, um, so there, you know, there was a couple things right there in the first, first quarter of the game that were uh, memorable just from that standpoint. And, you know, USD made some plays that day, and, uh, you know, they, they hung about as tough as they could. Uh, that wasn't a real good team uh, back there the last time that these two teams met. And, and so the expectations going in uh, for the Coyotes were, were, were pretty low um, in terms of how that game was going to go. Um, but it was a great experience for them. Uh, anytime these, these FCS schools get to get the chance to go and play one of the big boys on there, at their place, uh, it's a lot of fun, and obviously, uh, you, you get you get something out of it uh, economically, regardless of what happens uh, between the lines. So uh, there was a lot of value there, but at the same time, um, not a great day. And and uh, I think what you're gonna you're gonna see a very different program uh, this time around than than those Wildcat fans did the last time. So if you remember that game, you, you probably want to toss it away because this team is totally different. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that was a tough year for us. Ertz got hurt on, like, the second play, and that was kind of the narrative of the season. Injuries all over the field. At one point, we were down to, like, our fourth or fifth string quarterback, and we played a wide receiver at quarterback. It was tough. Lots, lots of close close losses that season. But um, we can transition a little bit to uh, South Dakota. So let's let's move into, like, some predictions for the upcoming season. What should we expect from South Dakota? What should what do you think, uh, or who do you think will win the Missouri Valley? Well, that's one thing that I think you know people really need to understand. And and you know a lot of FBS programs um, they look at these games as, as just automatics, and it's not that it's not that way. When when you schedule a Missouri Valley football conference team, you are taking uh, a bit more of a risk than you would than if you just pluck some other FCS school out to, to fill your cupcake part of your schedule. Um, this this is a highly, highly competitive league, um, and there have been a, a great number of FCS over FBS wins that have come from the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Yeah, one of them is uh, it Just last year, uh, North Dakota State, yeah, beat you guys down <laughs> in Mont- or Manhattan uh, just a few years ago. Um uh, South Dakota State has one. I mean, Illinois State. I mean, these teams, um, you, you know, they're top-end teams in terms of FCS football. North Dakota State, obviously, uh, anybody who pays attention to college football, whether you're an FCS fan or not, would know that the Bison are a perennial national championship-type uh, team. Uh, whether they win it or not, they're always in the conversation here over the last 10 years. Uh, and they uh, more often than not, they do win it. And um, and so this is just this is a very very powerful league. And if you look at the the way that the ratings in terms of the power index are at the end of the season, you'll see the the Missouri Valley Football Conference ranking higher than a very very good deal of uh, FBS conferences in terms of the power uh, and and what these teams have to go through week in and week out uh, to get to the postseason, let alone win a conference title and possibly a national championship. Just to get there. Uh, is a real accomplishment if you're able to come out of this league. You're going to be a contender uh, in the national playoffs. And so, um, you know, that's that's certainly one thing that you always have to be on alert for um, when, you, when you're when you coming up against any of the teams in the Missouri Valley Football Conference. 
North Dakota State is is you know they are um, they're the bar, and that's what everybody in the country, not even just within their league, that's who everybody's wanting to reach uh, because they have put themselves together into just a legitimate college football dynasty, and um, they're they're really really tough to beat. It doesn't matter where you play them. Uh, they're just a really, really sound football program. Uh, South Dakota State has been very good here for the last uh, six, seven years as well. They're right up in that conversation as well. Um, and, and then, you know, after that, uh, a lot it's a lot of um, teams beating up on each other. You'll see a lot of teams in this league finishing that four and four, three and five kind of range um, in, in terms of uh, their conference record. But that is no indication of how good of a football team right. they are. These guys just beat each other up every single week, uh, and so you'll 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 notice what appears to be an upset. But really, if you're talking about two Valley teams, uh, it's not necessarily the case. In fact, one of the last teams to beat North Dakota State um, it, during this run that they've been on is is the University of South Dakota. They beat them up in Fargo a couple of years ago uh, on a last second field goal, and that was um, when they weren't very good. And so, in fact, I think it was that. Now that I think about it, I think it might have been that same season um, that they lost to Kansas State, if I if I recollect it um, correctly. But uh, either way, it's it's uh, it's a league that that goes through North Dakota State. Uh, but each and every year, there's there's a lot of really good football teams uh, that are coming out of this conference and and competing well in to the uh, later rounds of the FCS playoffs. All right, so gun to your head, you got to give me a number. Where do you guys finish? You know, right now, as I look at it, I'm going to say six and five. Um, I could see seven and four. I could see eight and three, um, depending on how some things shake out. But they they have some questions. This team is is in a building process, and lad, they're coming off their first ever FCS playoff appearance. They won a game in the postseason at Nichols uh, last year before losing to Sam Houston State in one of the most incredible shootouts I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, really, really fun game. They, they lost the, the, the quarterback that they lost is now playing for the Winnipeg uh, Blue Bombers in the CFL and started their first three games before going to the bench for the, uh, the incumbent starter came off injury and, and returned to the lineup last week. Uh, he finished second in the, in the, in the voting for the Walter Payton Award, which is the FCS version, uh, of the Heisman Trophy. And so, uh, that's, that's a tremendous hole to fill, certainly. But they have a really, really talented young guy who's who's coming into his redshirt junior season. Uh, big, big time arm on him. He's very mobile. He's not as big as Chris Trebler was, um, and he hasn't. He doesn't have anywhere near the experience that Chris had by the end of last year. But uh, the physical tools are there, and the uh, weapons are there on offense around him. They're going to be very deep at wide receiver. They're going to be deeper than they were a year ago at, at uh, running back. The tight end spot is a strength as well. Uh, and this is a, a very high-scoring, high-pace offense. They don't waste a lot of time between snaps, uh, and so they can really score. And, uh, and they were one of the, the top teams in the country in scoring offense a year ago. Uh, and so that's uh, that's going to be a strength. Uh, Barring injury, that's going to be a strength for this team again uh, coming into this season. The defense, uh, a lot of youth on that side, and they're going through, through some uh, transitions schematically uh, to make some adjustments and uh, adjustments rather, and uh, try to maximize some of that personnel that they have. And uh, so that'll be a work in progress. Uh, I, I do know that they're a lot quicker on that side of the ball. They're a lot more athletic than they they have been in previous years, and so. 
Um, you know, I think that they, that should be a improved group overall. Um, but it, it, time will tell. And, and obviously a very good test for them right out of the gate against the Kansas State team. Right. So on the other side, you got to choose, just real quick, who do you think wins the Big 12? You know, <laughs> I, I, it's hard to go against Oklahoma just because it's Oklahoma. But, you know, pretty um, safe, pretty safe bet there. I mean, I think so, and, and I really like what I've seen out of uh, Campbell and Iowa State. Uh, the progress that they showed already last year. Uh, West Virginia is going to have a, a legitimate Heisman Trophy contender. Um, and it's who's going to play defense? That's always the question. It seems like in the Big Twelve. If you, if you can if you can score and play a little bit of defense, you're going to be in pretty good shape. But it's just hard to imagine uh, someone unseating Oklahoma, despite the fact that they are going into a uh, transition under center uh, and trying to fill the, the void of Baker Mayfield. That's um, it's that's my pick, and I don't really second guess it. I do recognize that there's a couple other teams in that uh, equation that might have a little something to say about it, but until I see um, someone match what Oklahoma has been able to do, uh, it's hard to go against the Sooners. Right. There's some other intriguing teams in there, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm with you. I'm, I'm probably picking Oklahoma, too. So, Coyotes, if there's one player from each side of the ball that we should know about or that you want to tell us about, who, who are those players? Offense, defense? For offense, it's Austin Simmons. That's the quarterback I was just describing. Um, this kid, he grew up in, in uh, southwest Iowa. And uh, was a three three sport star. And, and when I say that, I mean a lot of these guys that are playing college football. Obviously, were very good athletes. But this guy was was a, a top notch performer in the state of Iowa in just about everything he did, uh, particularly football and baseball. And uh, he has, and I and I say this, uh, understanding it's not necessarily the complete package, but he has an NFL caliber arm. Now, what mm-hmm. does that mean? Who's to say? It means he can make all the throws. And he can do it with precision, and he can do it with strength. Uh, he can take you downfield uh, and and do it with accuracy. I mean, this kid uh, really has a special talent that way. And he's also very mobile. He ran for a ton of yards and a ton of touchdowns in high school as well. He's shown some flashes of that. He has he has played a little bit in his first couple of seasons, um, but fortunately for the Coyotes, their quarterback the last couple of years has stayed pretty healthy, and they haven't needed Austin a whole lot, but. He's had the opportunity now to learn from a guy who, as I said, finished runner-up for the Walter Payton Award last year. And so, uh, offensively, there's no question. He while and while he might be the key to this team's success, um, he's also obviously a very big question mark because he doesn't have the experience uh, coming into this season. And they are playing in in an, a very ultra-competitive league. Their non-conference schedule is not very easy this year either. Uh, with Kansas State, they also go to Weber State, which was another uh, team that went deep into the playoffs out of the Big Sky Conference last year. So two out of their three games are going to be really tough in the non-conference season. That's that just sets them up uh, for this this meat grinder of a of a league slate that they have in the NBFC. So Austin Simmons is the guy offensively, without a doubt. Uh, and, and that being said, there's a lot of playmakers on that side of the football that that could hurt you. Um, right. If don't uh, pay attention to him. So uh, Simmons, the quarterback, uh, defensively, had him with Darren Greenfield. He wears number 44 as a defensive end. Uh, he was an All-American last year uh, a couple of times over. Uh, he was already a preseason All-American this year. 
Um, and this guy is only going into his redshirt junior season. He is a really, really special guy. Kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I think they thought he had talent, but I don't think anybody would have guessed that he would have burst onto the scene the way he did. Uh, he came back as a redshirt freshman off a, an elbow injury he sustained um, in, uh, I think it was spring ball, and uh, he, he really messed up his arm, came back and, and made an instant impact and, and by sacking the quarterback, by registering tackles for loss. And then he took that all to a different level and was among the nation's leaders uh, last year in those categories. And so uh, he is a definite, definite force, and I guarantee you Bill Snyder and his coaching staff will be will be very aware of where 44 is at all times because he's a guy who can disrupt things offensively. He can keep you out of rhythm. Um, and, and he can uh, make a lot, a lot of plays. And so um, the in terms of who you need to know about, think at number three, the quarterback, Austin Simmons. Think at number 44, Darren Greenfield, the defensive end, uh, an All-American uh, for the Kyles. Those are the two that are really going to jump out at you as guys that, hey, maybe this guy could be playing at a higher level. All right, I'll keep my eye out for number 44. Luckily, our offensive line is probably the biggest strength of our team, so hopefully we can keep him contained. For sure. Um, moving on, hard-hitting questions here. So, quick strategy. What does South Dakota have to do to pull off the upset on September 1st? Well, they've got to, they've got to play as mistake-free as they can, and that's that's the rest. I mean, that's a really generic answer, and I understand that, but uh, they've got to go into that game when you're on a, in a hostile environment against a, a big-time program. Uh, the, the good news is there's really no pressure on them. You know, all the pressure's on K-State and on these other FBS programs that are playing these games. They're, they're expected to win and win going away. And so take that part out of it. I know Bob Nielsen, the head coach of the Coyotes, who's going into his third season, he actually kind of likes, especially with the young guys, to get them out on the road early in the year. And, and part of that is just learning, you, you know, avoiding some of the distractions that are around uh, if you're playing at home and you're sleeping in your own bed. And that, those are good things, but... At the same time, there's a lot more that can take your focus away from what the job is at hand, and that's going out and playing a good football game. And so, uh, I, you know, I, two out of their three games in the non-con are on the road, and I, I don't think he hates that. I think uh, he'll, he'll like that, and then this coaching staff does a really good job of getting their guys prepared. And so, uh, you know, they have to – obviously they have to find ways to move the football and score, uh, but first and foremost they have to try and play mistake-free assignment sound football and that's that's the recipe to success for any fcs team uh in any of these games so while it might sound cliche it's absolutely true right yeah i mean there are a lot of question marks with this k-state team i mean there's new faces on defense there's new coordinators on both sides of the ball we got a massive game the following week against mississippi state which you know is going to be which has been circled for quite some time that's going to be super hyped up so you know there's the that trap of you know looking to next week, so it's an intriguing matchup, and it's it's certainly certainly not a gimme. <laughs> so yeah. On the other side, what does K State have to do to make it five and zero against the Coyotes? Well, you know, I mean, I think they're going to be the more the more the, they're they're going to be a more physical presence than USD. That's the way it usually works in these games. These teams are bigger, they're stronger. Uh, in in theory, they're more skilled, and and so I think they just need to go out and they need to execute. Um, the way that they believe they can and they believe that they should against a team um, that at least on paper is inferior. Um, but uh, obviously that's a lot easier said than done. And a lot of things can, can play into that. But, you know, I think uh, USD struggled a little bit last year uh, in, in stopping the run at times. 
and so if they're able to do that, they'll be in pretty good shape. Uh, and USD is also a very young secondary coming in this year. Now, now there are some guys in the back end that, are, that have some experience, but they didn't always perform uh, at the highest of levels last year. Uh, and so that can be a problem. And so if, if K-State's able to stretch the field a little bit uh, and supplement that by moving the football, uh, and then obviously defensively, they got to keep these playmakers in front of them because there are no shortage of them. USD is a true spread offense, and they will find they don't have a go-to wide receiver. They don't have a go-to running back, a bell cow. Um, they're going to spread the ball around. They're going to find the open guy, and that's how they, they go about their business. And so defensively, keep those guys in front of you. Don't let anybody um, beat you. And, and, again, it comes down to just staying assignment sound. Um and then offensively, I think you're able to run the ball and able to stretch the field against this team, um, especially if, if your, your strength is your offensive line. That's going to play in your favor, uh, certainly going into this game. So uh, it's not rocket science. I mean, just do what you're expected to do, right. uh, and things should work out. All righty. Score prediction for our game. Going to your head on the record. Well, you know, um, these are always tough, especially when we're a month out from camp. But um, <laughs> I, I did see a line – um, last week, I think it was already, where uh, K-State was an early 20-and-a-half-point favorite. I, I think it'll be closer than that. Um, I, I'm going to say 34-20 to 20 K-State. Uh, I think I think USD is going to, uh, to play pretty well. Um, I think they're going to score some points, unlike uh, what we saw from them last year. Or the last time they were down there, I think they lost 38 to nothing. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. And I think that's this, this team is made to score. Um, they don't get shut down a whole lot by anybody, whether it's an FBS program or North Dakota State. Um, they usually find ways to get in the end zone or, or get, get something going offensively. Uh, they're a rhythm team. If they find a rhythm, uh, they're going to hurt you. And, and so uh, I just wonder right now, um, again, before they even get into the, onto the practice field here for the fall, um, I just wonder how ready that defense, which is going to be young, uh, again, transitioning a little bit schematically. Uh, how ready are they going to be? There's playmakers there. There's guys with a lot of ability. Uh, but I just wonder how ready they're going to be week one at Kansas State. You know, I mean, I think they're going to get better as the season goes on, but I just question whether or not they're going to be ready enough uh, to help the Kyle steal a win down in Manhattan. So I'm going to say 34 to 20. Um, so a little bit, uh, I think the Kyle's cover. Uh, at least according to that early line, and that course will probably move ten times before we get to kickoff on sure. September. But uh, that's where I saw it, so that's one of my. I want to say my uh, my score is as of now. That scoreline's a little closer than I want it to be. <laughs> I'm sure I, that will not. If it's 34 20, that's not going to fill me with much confidence going into no. the Mississippi State game. But again, I, I again, these Missouri Valley football teams, they're they're no joke. Right. And, Again, it's easy to, to write it off and, and blow that off and look at that score. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we have a lot of question marks on our team, but sure. we returned pretty much our entire offense, so I think we're going to score some points. But ooh, defensively, yeah. we're, we're a little suspect. We may be a little bit suspect. So we'll see. That's that's not a crazy scoreline to be predicting. Yeah. I think we're going to score a little more. I think I put us around like 38-17, 41-17, but who, who knows? We'll, we'll see. surprise me as a 40-point game? To be honest, I could see it going a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, but like I said, I think USD is going to score. Um, yeah. I, I think Kansas State's going to score. So I, I, I don't know if I'd call 34-20 a shootout, but, you know, that's certainly no, there's no shortage of points there. So 
uh, and to me, I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch, sure. especially for a first game of the year. So I, I kind of hope it plays out something close to that. Yeah. If USD is able to put something special together, then obviously a lot of people up here are going to be pretty excited. But uh, we'll see. A lot of things have to happen for that to happen. All right, final record for your team and final record for K-State. In your limited knowledge of K-State or yeah. ahead of our team, just kind of th- you can throw something I'll out there. The one I know, I th- I, again, I, th- I still think 6-5 and five, uh, for USD, uh, which is a very good record in the Missouri Valley. Um, I think they'll win two of their non-conference games, but I could see them going one and two in the non-con Um and then a, a four and four, five and three kind of mark in the in the league makes a lot of sense to me based on some of the question marks that they have. I just voted in the uh, I submitted my preseason ballot for the league, and uh, I think I had them third, uh, but third through sixth, I could see those teams all interchangeable. So yeah. I could see them finishing anywhere from third to sixth in the league. Generally, if you finish in the top three to five in the uh, Missouri Valley Football Conference, especially the top four. If you finish in the top four, you're almost guaranteed to get a spot in the playoffs because of the strength of schedule that you face just week in and week out in your league. Uh, It's not uncommon to see them get five in. Six would be a stretch for anybody, but if there's one league in the country that could pull it off, it would be that one. So uh, I put USD third. It might have been a little generous, but I – I don't see them going much lower, lower than fourth or fifth, uh, and I do see them right now, anyway, um, getting back to the playoffs for a second straight year. All right, K State, what do you got? <laughs> You're still tough. I, I I don't even remember what you guys finished last year. We finished. Uh, where did we finish? Eight and four. Started off kind of slow. Had a nice run towards yeah. the end. Won the bowl game. I'll call it a little bit. I'll call it similar, maybe a game or two less in the win column. Um, I do have a, a buddy that, that does some games with us. That's a K State alum, and and I know he's not particularly excited about what they're going to be trotting out there this year. So, uh, you know, who's to say? He's more of a basketball guy anyway. So I don't know what we could put uh, in terms of stock in that. But uh, he, uh, you know, he's he certainly doesn't want to see K State lose this game. I promise you that. That uh, seven win mark. That sounds about right. All right, seven wins. That does sound about right. That's what I have predicted that at one point in one of our shows, and that's kind of seven, seven, eight wins is what people are kind of seeing us as. But uh, hey, honestly, when you, when you do this, I mean, you just have to go with your gut. Right. And uh, guys like us are wrong all the time. People think that we have some kind of crystal ball that we're able to predict this type of stuff, and uh, just because we're around it so much. But uh, there's so many factors that play into all this, and obviously injuries are a big part of it. Yeah, uh, You lose your quarterback and your running back and a couple of wide receivers, and boom, suddenly your offense really, really struggles. So uh, that that can be completely season-changing. And so it's just it's a total crapshoot. But um, based on what I know of USD and what, what little I know of Kansas State, I'm pretty comfortable with those numbers. That sounds good to me, Jay. Well, that was fun. I appreciate you fitting us into our into your schedule, and I'm looking forward to our matchup. The season can't start soon enough. Best of luck this season to you guys, except on September 1st, obviously. Um, is there anything that you want to plug? No, not really. I mean, uh, people down in your area probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't see it anyway. Um, we do have some service down in the Lawrence area, but uh, um, just Midco Sports Network is uh, the name of uh, of our network and where you can see Coyote games. Um, 
and, and I'll be calling, uh, I think, five of them on air this year uh, out of the home games. So, um, and, and then uh, just at, uh, at Elson Midco SN on Twitter, E-L-S-E-N-M-I-D-C-O-S-N on Twitter for anybody who might be interested in, in, in any of the preseason coverage leading up to this game. Uh, I'll have a ton of it there. Awesome. Well, that wraps up part one. Thanks for coming on, Jay. Sounds great, man. Thank you. That's going to wrap up the University of South Dakota. Thanks again, Jay, for coming on. Up next, of course, the highly anticipated matchup with Mississippi State. You don't want to miss it. I can't believe that, that, that was going to be a great track. Guys, what's the deal? Uh, are you sure that was sounding okay? I'll be honest, fellas, it was sounding great, but we used a little more cowbell. 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 And are series talking to friends, fans, and foes of the non-con opponents continues on with the big one. It's Mississippi State. It's the biggest home non-con game we've had in close to four years. And uh, who do we have on the line to talk to us about Mississippi State? Hey, my name's Luca. I'm just graduated Mississippi State. I've been a fan really probably for the last four or five years. I'm, I've been a college football fan longer than I've been a state fan, but I'm really into the football team. And, yeah, I, I definitely recently I really uh, have been following the team closely. Where can our, uh, uh, all of our listeners find you on social media? So you can find me at Luca underscore Timmerman on Twitter. Um, and I, I occasionally do blog posts on a blog called Third and Dak, which relates to our ex-quarterback, Dak Prescott. It's kind of an inside joke around Mississippi State fans. Anytime we had a third down that was third and short, we just referred to it as Third and Dak because we would just run Dak up the middle. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek. But, <laughs> so, uh, well, yeah. if case anyway. State <laughs> If K-State fans made a blog based on that, it would be first, second, and third and with insert quarterback here. Yeah, seriously. We do, we do that with everyone. So Yeah. So, Luca, you said you've been a fan of Mississippi State for about the past four or five years. Give us a brief summary of how you got, got to that point, how you became a Mississippi State guy. So I started school in 2014, and that was, like, the perfect year to start because that was – Probably our most talented team besides the team that's going to be starting in 2018. Uh, the team, I mean, we had Dak Prescott at quarterback. The defense had a ton of future NFL players on it. Preston Smith, uh, who plays for the Redskins. Bernard McKinney, who plays for the Texans. A few players in the secondary. Uh, the team was top ten most of the year. We were number one for about half that season, even though we had some troubles at the end of the year because we had to play Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas, when Arkansas was somewhat decent at the end of the year, and they kind of fell apart in the bowl game. But we had a really good run that season. And, uh, yeah, we had fun trivia fact, and this is me as a student, we were the first team to ever go from unranked to number one and the first team to do it within a month. So we did it within five weeks. Only team to have done that in college football history. We just played three top ten teams in a row and beat them all. That was a wild year for you guys. I remember that. Yeah, it was a really good season. That was the first year of the playoff, too. So, 
Yeah, that was a good time in college football. I remember watching that very quick rise for Mississippi State, and it's really fun to see uh, someone who's not a perennial player at that upper echelon kind of crash the party for a month or two. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And ever since that, that season, I've just been following the team. I mean, any kind of post I can read online, any articles, any podcast I can listen to, I'm tuning in. And, yeah, I... Actually, I, so when I toured the school, this is a little bit, uh, this was actually the year before I started, so we had just beat Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl, and we became bowl eligible the last uh, last game of the season. Dak was injured most of the year, and he came back in overtime. He was injured, I mean, he was out for the game, and we played him in overtime for some, God knows what reason, but we played him, and he ran in this game-winning touchdown, and I was touring the school the week after the Egg Bowl, and there was just the, one of the football players, Chris Jones, who plays for the Kansas City Chiefs now. You guys maybe oh, yeah. fans. Yeah, so Big he, Chris Jones he, guy. Yeah, so he, he, I was walking in the student union, and I was with my family, and he just came up and like was talking to us about the tour. And so it was just really, I mean, really set a good first impression for me. And I, my whole family is like big Chris Jones fans, too, just because of that experience. Just five, ten minutes of him. I mean, he... He was a five-star recruit. He was a pretty big person on campus, not to mention he stands out pretty easily. But, yeah, that was – maybe that's really when it started. But, yeah. Well, that's awesome. You mentioned you've been a big-time college football fan for even longer than you've been a Mississippi State fan. So give us kind of in two parts, what is your personal perception of K-State football? And then what do you, what's the perception of K-State like out there in Starksville, Mississippi? Okay, so I grew up in Houston, Texas, Big 12 country, and I've been following Kansas State, Bill Snyder, Purple Wizard. I've been following Kansas State, oh, God, I don't know, at least a decade. I mean, I'm only 22, so as long as I can remember following college football, I've always been paying attention to K-State. Because personally, I like following teams that are more underdogs and kind of, I guess, uh, fight higher than their weight or play up above their weight. And Kansas State, year in, year out, always really doesn't get much media credibility, I guess, in the preseason, but usually ends up, I don't know, winning nine, ten games a year, and just consistent, good, and uh, yeah, I would say that's my perception of Kansas State. I really took to the team, I guess, around when I was in high school, so around 2010, 2011, with Colin Klein. He was definitely one of my favorite players to watch, just because we got all the, the Big 12 games in Texas, and he was... I, I don't remember what game it was, but he had like five or six touchdowns against like Oklahoma State or something. I don't remember the game specifically, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was fun to watch. So the Mississippi State fans, I guess, perception of Kansas State, I would say most fans probably don't know much just because it's not an SEC school. But with that being said, there's a lot of really big college football fans in the state of Mississippi and I guess by association, a lot of Mississippi State fans are rabid college football fans. So they, I mean, they definitely know about Kansas State and they know what challenge playing Kansas State is going to entail for this upcoming season. I mean, we, we definitely, I, so our current quarterback, Nick, Nick Fitzgerald, he is a lot like Colin Klein. He is almost as close to a carbon copy as you can get. He can probably throw a little bit better, but both guys are really built the same six foot five, 230 pounds. They both wear the same number. Nick Fitzgerald was a high school wide receiver. There's a lot of parallels between the two players that I think is pretty interesting. 
Yeah, I'm afraid of him. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think so, a lot of people are. I think I've even started seeing him pop up on some Heisman watch lists early on this off, or late on in this offseason. So, uh, is is he 100% healthy? Has that been? Yeah. So he was full go during spring practice. Okay. okay. And we, yeah, we had him on a we 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 had a yellow jersey on him or like a, a caution jersey. So he was there was no contact for the spring. But he, yeah, he was he was running the full offense. He just wasn't. I mean, nobody was tackling him, which I for good reason. But that's probably yeah, he's, he's, typical he's of of a quarterback in in practice, anyways. So, yeah. so moving on a little bit to one of your guys' biggest traditions, you have a very interesting noise-making tradition that I'm kind of dying to know about. What's the origin of the cowbell? Okay, so this is really quirky, but it's something that's been a, a long tradition. It's something that's almost 100 years old. So back, I, I don't know the exact year. I don't even know if the actual like university historians know the exact year, but the cowbell is kind of our big, uh, yeah, artificial noisemaker, our big tradition. And what happened back in like the 1920s when we played Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl, I think before it was even called the Egg Bowl, but a big rivalry game. Um, we beat the crap out of them one year, and during the game, a cow had walked onto the field, and the students ended up, at the time, really taking to the cow, and the following season, we started bringing this cow to every game, and eventually it ended up turning, instead of bringing this cow, because the cow would die off or whatever, uh, we just started bringing a cowbell, and that that's kind of become the, the tradition off of that. That's awesome. I that's think you good. guys, as a podcast that's been trying to bring back like Bosco the dog, <laughs> I think Mississippi State needs to start pushing to bring live cows back to their games as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they got a big dairy farm on campus. I'm sure they could get plenty of cows. Yeah, just start bringing the cow of the game. Just bring it in. Uh, and, you know, just have fun. You, you guys have a live bulldog mascot, don't you? Yes, we do. Yeah, so they could just be best friends. You can put the bulldog on top of the cow. I I think Mississippi State fans need to start pushing for that, and uh, I can give you guys tips on how to push for a new live mascot. So slide <laughs> okay. the ends, and I'll I'll help you out. Uh, so we'll, we'll move on away from cowbells and live mascots real quick. Uh, I, I just want to get get your opinion. So first, t- talk to me about the SEC. Who is the favorite? Who is going to win the SEC this year? I think we uh, all have an inkling, but... <laughs> so, there... Um, this is... So, Alabama's definitely the favorite to win the conference, but I think the interesting thing is, so, Georgia, SEC East, I think those are definitely the respective favorites. Actually, fun fact on that, we were the only team who last season played both national finalists and the team that beat both of them. So, we, we played... Alabama, Georgia, and Auburn, and yeah, I think I think in terms of how the conference will shake out, at least in the SEC West, I think Alabama is definitely the favorite, and as long as Nick Saban's there, I think that's going to be the case. But I think for number two, I I honestly, and most Mississippi State fans believe this, this is probably I, I'm thinking Mississippi State's going to end up second or third. This is our most talented team 
that most Mississippi State fans can remember, and that's including the 2014 team. The team is a bunch of seniors. It's a really experienced and, like, tested experienced roster. Um, yeah, I think the, the only question mark, if any, is we're adding a new coaching staff, but the, the offense is going to be practically the same. It, it, both Joe Moorhead and Dan Mullen run very similar spread offenses where it's kind of a power running spread. So, uh, yeah, I think I think LSU is going to they're going to be crap this year. I don't if you if you bet on college football games, stay away from LSU. I would also be weary of Auburn as well. They have the quarterback, but a lot of their defense is gone. So, um, yeah, I, Alabama is always a safe bet, but I think a dark horse team is definitely Mississippi State, and we're getting some talk going into the season. A lot, I mean, probably going to be ranked in the top 15 or top 20 starting off in the season, but I expect that to rise. But that's awesome. Uh, also, you, you claim that you follow the Big 12 pretty well since you grew up in Houston. How do you see the Big 12 shaking out from your ivory perch in the SEC? <laughs> okay, this is interesting. So I think, hmm, I, I want to see how Kyler Murray does at Oklahoma, just because Oklahoma has the talent. But as an SEC fan, I didn't see any anything from him when he was at a and I, I honestly think he's kind of too hyped up. Like he was a five-star recruit, and he played really well at Allen High School. But I. I mean, he could. I mean, the way Big 12 offense works, I'm sure he'll he'll put up numbers. I just, I don't know. He's a little bit of a, a nutcase, at least. He seems to be kind of a diva. Um, okay, Texas. I'm I'm interested in Texas because I think I think first year head coach is a big program. So Tom Herman um, at UT. I think the first season is kind of. It's kind of inconsequential because a lot of those players weren't his. Same thing with Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart was kind of underwhelming the first year at Georgia. They won like seven or eight games. But I think the second season is really where you see them take over. And I expect, and this is not, I'm not a UT fan by any stretch, but I expect UT to be pretty, pretty good next year. I, I don't know what exactly that means. Probably like 10 wins. If you want me to just pick a conference winner, uh, that's hard. I, West Virginia will be exciting. Kansas State will be exciting. I, I, I think the Big 12's honestly got a lot of parity this year. I would pick Oklahoma just because that's the big dog, but I do think that there's going to be a lot of upsets that happen. That's kind of con consistent with what everyone else is thinking. I mean, you're not wrong I there. Do, I do want to say, Luca, welcome to the Texas's back bandwagon. We've yeah. been pretty split with the guests that we've had on not just our opposing fans, but some of our uh, fellow K-State media brethren. So it's been, yeah. pretty it's been pretty split, but as the charter member of Texas is back 2018, I welcome you to the team. Thank you. Yeah, Scott's been a huge proponent of the Texas is back movement, and I'm not quite on board yet, but we'll wait and see. So UT had, in the last recruiting class, they had, I think, I want to say all of the top ten or all of the top five recruits in Texas which is just insane. I mean, for one school to dominate the top of the Texas recruiting chain like that, they're, they're going to get results at some point. Tom Herman could, I mean, he coached really well at UT, or excuse me, U of H, and the, that, I mean, he was definitely swinging above his weight there, beating Oklahoma, beating a lot of the big dogs. 
that they played up in the Power Five. And they played the Power Five. Well, I think Texas is back, but we'll we'll move on from everyone's most hated Big 12 school. Grant, yeah. what do you have next for us? So let's talk a little bit more specific about uh, Mississippi State. We'll just do this real quick. Pick one player from each side of the ball that we should know about going into the game. Who do we want to watch out for, you know, going into our matchup? Okay. Uh, drum roll. Nick Fitzgerald is definitely... <laughs> no way! Get out of here! <laughs> so, he... His sophomore year, he wasn't even the full-time starter, but he, he led the SEC in total offense as a sophomore. And last year, our passing game kind of took a step back because we, we were playing a bunch of smurfs at wide receiver. But our, our wide receiver recruiters really stepped up. I expect Nick Fitzgerald to put up pretty insane numbers next year. He's going to he's gonna be getting about 300 yards total offense probably every game. He... He is just an absolute monster truck, just running the ball. He's gigantic. He's hard to bring down, but he's got like a, a fifth gear when he gets in the open field. And yeah, his sophomore year, he actually had the, the most 50-plus yard rushing touchdowns. And this was two years ago when the SEC had Leonard Fournette, Darius Guy, Nick Chubb. I mean, there was a lot of top-tier running back, and Nick Fitzgerald actually had the most long rushing touchdowns in the conference. He's dangerous. He's really talented. It sounds like we're going to have our hands full with Mr. Mr. Number 7. So what about defensively? <laughs> okay, so this is, I'm going to give, I'm going to give it to two players because they're both on the defensive line and they both complement each other. So this is Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat. They both were first team all SEC defensive linemen that last year. And we're the first team to ever return two all-SEC defensive linemen from the previous season. Alabama's never done it. Georgia's never done it. We're the first team to ever have two players make the first team and both return for the next season. Montez Sweat, actually, he led the SEC in sacks last year. He's a lot like Jordan Willis, actually. He's, he's a long, quick edge rusher. So with all that being said, it seems like, you know, Mississippi State, you've said it a couple times, most talented team ever. So, what do you think the arguably, game is going to be? Arguably. Sorry. I don't want you to get in any trouble with any of the 2014 fanboys or anything like that. So, <laughs> arguably. So, stay out of his mentions. He said arguably. So, with all that being said, what do you think it will take to beat K-State on the road this year? If Mississippi State's going to come out there with a win, shaking their cowbells up here in Manhattan, Kansas, what is that going to look like? What is it going to take to get that done? So this is going to be early in the season, second game of the year, and I think that this is the first real test of Joe, of Joe Moorhead. So our, this is our first real test with the new coaching staff. I think it's going to be more of the high-level things rather than the actual talent on the field. So I'm interested to see if we win. I think you're really going to see the offensive mastermind of Joe Moorhead. I mean, he was a fantastic coordinator at Penn State, and I mean, he he took it to team, the the big dogs and the big ten. And I want to see him really put that install in our offense because we got to be ready to go by week two. So I, if we win, it's going to be because we run the ball. We were a elite rushing team last year. Bill Connolly, his advanced statistics, had us as the second best power running team in the whole country last year. We were the best power five power running team. The only teams that could really give us a fit were teams that could stop us on the inside. So. 
Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, those were really the only teams that had the talent up front to be able to withstand our rushing attack. We're returning our quarterback, our running back, all the four of our five offensive line starters, even though the one player that graduated, he was injured last year, part of the year, so we actually kind of returning four and a half of our offensive line starters. We've got an experienced rushing attack, and they're all, yeah, they're all back for next year. So I think if we win, it's going to be because we get, I don't know, 200 yards plus on the ground. Uh, we have a lot of question marks defensively, especially on our defensive line, so that makes me a bit nervous you saying all that. So, Luca, on the other side of that question, what does K-State have to do to to oust Mississippi State from Manhattan and get the win? Okay, so this is going to be, again, if our, if our offense isn't clicking early on and your defense and the home field advantage is able to take over, even though this is an 11 o'clock game, I don't know. I, I would be a lot more worried if this was a night game. The fact that it's an 11 o'clock game, I, home field advantage isn't as big of a deal to me. It's still it's a factor, but I, I think it's going to be, if our, if our offense is slow, we start off with a lot of three and outs. If there's not a lot of fluidity in the offense, I think that's going to be. I think if we don't start strong, I think it'll be some trouble for us. Um, on the Kansas State side, if Kansas State beats us, I think it's a combination of us shooting ourselves in the foot and also if Kansas State is able to stop the run. I, 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 that's really what it comes down to. Okay, so you told us what you think it would look like for Mississippi State to win. You gave us what you thought it would have to look like for K-State to win. Uh, go on the record. Give us your official score prediction for the game all the way out here. We're taking this on July 15th. So this is, you know, the most important prediction you ever make. And if you get it wrong, you're going to chastise forever on the internet. Okay. So I think the game's going to end up somewhere around, I think we're going to score in the high 20s, maybe low 30s. So I'll say like 28 to 28 to 17, something around there. Our defense, I haven't really mentioned it much, but we're returning everybody except our two cornerbacks. So our front seven, there's probably a good four or five like solid NFL guys on that in that front seven. So I'm really confident in our rush defense, and we have experienced safeties as well. We actually returned the SEC leader in interceptions, Mark McLaurin, who picked off Lamar Jackson three times in our bowl game. So we've got him coming back. Um, so yeah, I think that the score is going to be somewhere, I mean, not super high scoring by Big 12 standards, but something that there, there's definitely going to be some touchdowns scored. Uh, but yeah, I think that's about what I would expect. All right. I, I Right now where I'm sitting, I don't necessarily disagree with you. Uh, so we'll move on. Give us the predicted, possibly, arguably, the most talented Mississippi State team ever, arguably, 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 <laughs> the final record for them. So I think it's probably going to be around, I'll say with the bowl game, 11-2. and two. I think we drop Alabama and then drop some combination of either Auburn or maybe if we play a big bowl game against like Michigan or Penn State or I, I don't think we're necessarily a playoff team, but I definitely this team is definitely a New Year's Six bowl team. I think on average, I think the floor of our team is probably a nine-win team, or and we won nine games last year, so nine to ten wins is the floor. I think the ceiling is 
uh, this sounds crazy as a Mississippi State fan to be saying this, but it's probably 12 wins. We, we played Alabama really tough last year. We were the first team to ever score three or more rushing touchdowns against Alabama last year. First time that's ever happened with Dick Saban. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we bring back a team that took Alabama to the fourth quarter. We actually were leading going into the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be around 10, 11 wins. Well, you guys will be a fun team to follow, and hopefully uh, hopefully it will be fun to follow. Give us what your prediction then on the inverse, what you're predicting K-State to finish up at. So I think, I, I forgot what, I don't even remember what the quarterback's name is. The guy that's played in the bowl game. So that's Alex Belton. Yeah, I, I think, so he looks pretty, I mean, I watched the bowl game. He was an exciting rushing player. I don't know if he necessarily can be the starting quarterback going into the next season. I don't know your guys' opinion on that. But I think if he really blossoms next season, I think you guys definitely can pull off some wins. Let me look at the schedule. So I think some. I think West Virginia will be a big game for you guys. It's going to be an away game. I'll be interested to see how that goes. I definitely think that for Big 12 games, I think your guaranteed wins are Baylor, Kansas State, possibly Iowa State. So those three... We, uh, we always beat Iowa State. It, it'll yeah. be close. We'll win it in hilarious fashion. That can be cemented as a win for the next decade. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, uh, that's, that's with Kentucky and Arkansas. We just always find a way to beat Arkansas. I don't know. It's the most ridiculous stuff that's happened sometimes. But Okay, so I think... Uh, I'm going to count the Mississippi State game as a loss, but I think you guys are probably, with a bowl, with a bowl game, going to be somewhere in the realm of seven to eight wins, so maybe eight and five. I think we may have finished that last year. I'm, I just Bill Snyder's consistent. He's going to find a way to win, like, eight games. Yeah, that's about where I had us, so I'm not going to argue with you on that. <laughs> we're all we're in the same boat. So we can kind of wrap this up here, but... Um, this is kind of a question that we just kind of threw in there for Mississippi State fans that are traveling to Manhattan. Scott, I'll just throw this at you, and then we can kind of just give our own tips. Uh, tips for Manhattan, Kansas, places to eat, drink, and uh, tailgate? Yeah, uh, you know, before the game, since it's 11 a.m., if you're talking Friday night, places to drink, go out to Aggieville. Uh, there's a lot of fun places. If you don't want just the generic college bar I would say go down the basement to Annie Mae's that's one of my favorite spots outside of that you have all the same uh, college type bars all in Aggieville if you're looking not to be in Aggieville we had a fun time taping a podcast at Tallgrass Tap House it's the uh, largest brewery that distributes here in Kansas it's a good time to have good food they also have uh, Little Apple Brewing that's uh, again outside of Aggieville different place to get some food and drink. Uh, Tailgate-wise, if you are looking to do your own thing, if you're driving up and you have a truck, I would say try to get there as early as you can. Get a spot in the grass lots. I think day of game parking, it's like either 20 or 30 bucks. You can go in there, uh, set up your own tailgate. Otherwise, if you're just looking to walk around, uh, be nice. Don't you know, bring your cowbell in anyone, anyone's face. I'm sure you're going to have people walk up to you, offer you a beer or two, uh, and have a fun time. Uh, you know, that's my, that's my recommendations. Post-game, you're going to have uh, time. There's it's all over the town, but again, 
probably go to a place like Tanner's. You can catch all the night games after the game. Uh, it'll be a good time. People of Manhattan are super welcoming, even to the away fans. Uh, and, you know, if you're traveling up, it'll be a good time. Enjoy your time in case state Pretty good tips, um, especially on the Annie Mays. Uh, it's a great bar. Go hang out in the basement um, if you want to get a different experience. Um, I'd say places to eat. My favorite place to eat is probably So Long Saloon or Taco Lucha. Um, they're connected to each other. Um, Be prepared to wait. If you're yes. Going. If you're going to So Long trying to get an elite burger, um, it's very, very small. So be prepared to wait an hour or so. But it's, I think it's worth it. It's really good. Places to tailgate, yeah, like Scott said, just... Don't be a dick. We have gigantic um, tailgate scene basically on. There's two large uh, parking lots on either side of the stadium, the east and west side. And, and then, if he, if and he then just walked north, around, north side as well. There's the yeah. parking. Uh, it's a time. The tailgate scene at K State rivals any true traditional what you think of when it comes to tailgating scene. Uh, at least in the Big 12, I, I don't know if it goes toe to toe with some of the best places in the SEC, but if you're looking for a traditional NFL-style tailgate where people are bringing their grills, doing a massive spread, you're not going to find too many better places. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Do you have anything that you want to plug? So, I, actually, I, since you guys play us next season, or I guess 2019 season, I was saying on kind of on the Starkville side, mainly a Kansas State podcast, I'd say restaurants to check out, there's um, two Brothers Smoked Meats, that's a barbecue place, but they do like kind of some fusion food too, so they do like barbecue tacos, like pork belly tacos, brisket tacos that are really good, and this is coming from a Texan, so I, I get a lot of good Tex-Mex barbecue in my hometown as well, Houston, but uh, that's definitely a restaurant I recommend. Some bars to check out would be the Fountain Bar, which is in the Cotton District, which is like a walking distance from our stadium. Um, and then tailgating, we don't really do the, I guess, the NFL tailgating with your truck in a parking lot. Our tailgating is done in this area called the Junction, which is this big pasture field that's outside the stadium. It's on campus still, but you have to, if you're going to be tailgating there, you have to get there Friday at 4 p.m. That's when they kind of ring the bell and let everybody start setting up tents because there's a big rush of people that go to set up their, their tailgating spreads the day before. And some people will be camping out there for days before the big game. So that's kind of word of advice to the Kansas State fans. One well, more restaurant is Restaurant Tyler. That's a, that's a good southern place. When me and Scott make the trip, we're going to have to just walk around that place and meet some folks. Yeah, and it's very nice. The Way fans definitely really open, and they're going to love to show you around south because Kansas is so far away. They're going to want to hear all about the differences between the schools and a lot of the similarities. Well, we'll have to have you on again next year when we do this again, and you can give us even more detail on that. And that game being put out there, I want to put a plea out to my cousin whose fiance tentatively put that game date as their wedding date. If you listen, Michael, Michael, I don't know if you listen to this podcast. Uh, you're a KU fan, so I'm not sure if you do, but if you listen to this podcast, please tell your fiance, as beautiful as she is, to move the date. Otherwise, I'm, I can't guarantee I'm going to be at your wedding. Yeah, the rule in the South is no fall wedding. Well, he's a KU fan, otherwise uh, he might know better, but as we all know, 
As we all know, KU fans don't have anything to do after, uh, you know, the middle of March. They just twiddle their thumbs until November. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. But, Michael, please change your way. Uh, so, Luca, thank you for coming on. Uh, we look forward to, you know, hopefully chatting with you on uh, the Internet. We'll follow each other on Twitter, have a little banter game week. And hopefully we can have you on again next year. And uh, for my sake, hopefully you'll be talking about how upset you were after this game. But uh, the way I think it'll probably go, we'll just have to hope we can even the series next year. For sure. That you guys actually may have a good chance next year just because we're going to lose so many seniors. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wait and see for that. Uh, Grant, do you have anything to say before we move on? Are you coming to Manhattan, Luca? Are you going to make the trip? I don't have any going to the game just because it's a new place to, to visit. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thanks for coming on. We'll, we'll chat with you, give you some banter on Twitter. Okay. Sounds good. All right. We'll see you, man. Take it easy. All right. That wraps up the Mississippi State segment. Thanks again to Luca. You can follow him at Luca underscore Timmerman on Twitter. That's L-U-C-C-A for Luca. Up next, the UTSA Roadrunners. Meep, meep. <laughs> And all right, uh, Boneheads, we are back with the final preview of the non-conference schedule. That would be the UTSA Roadrunners. We got Jared on the line. Jared, introduce yourself and uh, let the listeners know who you are. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, glad you saved the best for last, evidently. I'm the last one to go. That's um, the schedule makers. Don't yes. flatter yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so my name is Jared Kalmus. I've been covering UTSA football since before it even truly existed, um, all the way going back to like 2010. Uh, first season was in 2011, of course. And so you can find my writing at underdogdynasty.com. We're a member of the SB Nation platform. Um, so you guys may be familiar with our site, maybe not, but you can find me on there. Uh, we covered all Sunbelt teams, all Conference USA teams, with the exception of UTEP, and then most of the AAC and FBS independents that are not BYU and Notre Dame. So that's a big, uh, crazy, convoluted umbrella, you know, there. Um, podcast-wise, I do have a podcast. It's called Alamodome Audible. So you can just find us at alamodomeaudible.com. Um, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play Store. So, you know, your typical place where podcasts are found. And if you want to follow the podcast, you can do so on Twitter at Alamo Audible, right? There's no dome in it. It's just Alamo Audible because it's too long. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter at Jared UTSA. Sounds good. Perfect. Uh, I look forward to following you guys along. And uh, I'll be sure to give your guys' podcast a listen. I'm always looking for uh, new podcasts. Uh Give us a brief summary on your path to covering UTSA football uh, or just your path to becoming a fan, either one. Gotcha. So for fandom, you know, UTSA football didn't exist when I was in high school. So I think my sophomore year was when the team started in 2011. Um, I had a lot of interest in being a sports writer back then. I was an English major at the time. Uh, so I was like, hey, there's no one blocking about UTSA football, and I don't know how many people are going to read this, but, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, linked up with another guy in San Antonio at the time, and uh, we had you know independent blog for a while. That went for a few years, picked up a little steam, and uh, just kind of started expanding it from there, and just you know investing more and more time and 
you know, it's cool for such a young fan, fan base. We do have a very invested fan base that, you know, is active on social media and message boards and all that. So it's a lot of fun uh, covering such a young program. You know, you get to see and uh, consider a lot of things that you wouldn't see covering a more traditional program that's been around for a while. So I definitely enjoy it. That must be, like, really interesting covering a team or supporting a team that was kind of just created back in 2011 because for us it's like you know mm-hmm. we were born into that mm-hmm. we were born mm-hmm. into k-state it's all we ever knew so mm-hmm. that's interesting yeah, it's uh, a lot of things that people that cover big 12 programs probably take for granted i'll have to like explain to utsa fans you know like what is it what is a red shirt what's a blue shirt and stuff like that um so yeah it's it's a very different experience but one that i really enjoy oh yeah no it's uh i think we'll dive into talk about uh you know the the process of following a team from startup. Uh, but before we get there, we're asking all the people who hop on the podcast with us, what is your perception of K-State football being a UTSA fan? Mm-hmm. So I think my primary impression of it is that it's one of the few programs that we see in the FBS that truly has some stability to it, um, You know, especially in the modern area. I think the average shelf life of an FBS coach is like four years. And, you know, obviously Snyder has been there for a lifetime. Uh, so that's my main takeaway. You know, from a larger perspective, I definitely have the impression that K-State fans are very passionate and very kind and welcoming. I've had great experiences with every Kansas State fan that I've met, either online or in person. Um, you know, there are quite a few Kansas State fans down here in Texas. So uh, definitely a program that I have a really, really good uh, vibe with and, you know, definitely impressed with the way they handle things there. Do you have so we played back in 2015, K State mm-hmm. won. I want to say 30 to three. What's your recollection um, from that game? Do you have any any standout yeah. memories? Yeah, a little bit. So at that time, UTSA had never beaten a Power Five program, and I think at the time Kansas State was coming into the game with like two or three very serious injuries at the quarterback position, and I cannot remember the guy's name for the life of me. But the guy who was going to start for at quarterback for Kansas State was like a former like. Uh, tight end and a former like javelin thrower in high school. <laughs> yep, that so, was uh, Joe Hubner. Yes, that's it. Uh, so at the time, UTSA was looking pretty good. You know, they're kind of a feisty uh, upstart program, and I was like, oh man, this is it. This is the first time that UTSA is really playing at home, really going to uh, put a scare into a P5 program and maybe you know walk away with the upset. And defense, UTSA did play pretty well, but they only scored three points, so you just can't win a game that way. Uh, so it was a very deflating game for me as a UTSA fan because, you know, I just had these unrealistic expectations of an upset. Um, but, yeah, just a very well-coached team that came into the Alamo Dome for that game and a good traveling fan base as well. Yeah, I was actually down there in the Alamo Dome. Um, a couple recollections I had from that game, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it being a fan down there. Uh, first off, I was very surprised with how uh, raucous in the overall mm-hmm. attendance for that game. I had no idea what to expect. I mean, yes, there were plenty of K-State fans and, uh, you know, that entire weekend down on the Riverwalk and uh, all throughout San Antonio, I saw plenty of purple. But on game day, all of a sudden, you saw this orange and blue. And I was surprised by how many fans were there, how raucous, and especially the student section. It filled up, mm-hmm. I think, all five sections behind the end zone started mm-hmm. going up into the upper deck. So, uh, 
it, are most games like that, or was that a bit of an anomaly with the Power 5 school coming to town? Yeah, you know, it's certainly an anomaly. I, I will say that UTSA for a G5 program, for a Conference USA program, does very well for, you know, fan retention and attendance and stuff. Uh, if we're grading them on that, you know, scale, uh, the attendance has definitely fallen off in the years since then. Uh, just like every year, it drops a little bit, you know, and there's some variance. Sometimes it goes up a bit. Um, but the environment, year in and year out, is top-notch, especially for a G5 program. You know, UTSA doesn't have the tradition, and it doesn't have that alumni base, really, because it's such a young university to really have, you know, the 40,000 that are going to show up hell or high water at every game, you know. So you don't see a lot of orange and blue uh, outside of San Antonio or even, you know, just walking around town, you know, you do see a lot of Roadrunner shirts and hats, but it's, you know, an Aggie in a Longhorn town first and foremost. Uh, but, you know, come game day, a lot of those people come out of the woodworks and they support the program. They're just not fully bought in yet because UTSA hasn't really won anything. You know, they've been to a bowl game, but they've never even won a bowl game or uh, even finished second place in conference. So, you know, it's an uphill battle to climb. But uh, I think, you know, if you keep the perspective that UTSA is such a young program playing in a you know a mid-major conference, I think they do really, really well for themselves. And, you know, everyone says UTSA is like a sleeping giant. Uh, which there's definitely some truth to that. You know, you, you go on a nice five-year streak of, of wins, and, uh, you know, that home home field advantage in the Albadome, as you guys know, it gets super loud in there. So uh, Arizona State was in town a few years back, and they had three false starts in a row, and then the quarterback dropped the ball in the end zone for a safety. So, you know, you keep building on that, and I think he just has a lot of potential, but not quite there yet. Yeah, I think being down in Texas, any – at G5 school has the potential to really mm-hmm. make some noise at that level. Right. So we, we briefly touched on it, but give us just a little bit more what it was like covering a program from its startup and then also just being a fan from the startup. Man, it's, you know, it's it's a lot of emotions, a lot of memories. You know, most people thought that UTSA would be like an FCS team that would compete with San Houston State and Incarnate Word and, and programs like that. And just the dominoes just really fell for UTSA. They were very fortunate um, so at least in my mind, UTSA is so far surpassed what I expected from the program that sometimes it's a little wild, you know, sometimes I have to step back and like really take it all in and like realize what I've watched, uh, come to fruition in front of me. So yeah, it's very crazy. And, you know, like I said earlier, some things that you would take for granted at a, at a bigger program kind of fly under the radar at UTSA. Um, you know, we have the new coach, Frank Wilson, who's been here for two or three years now. And he's kind of started to establish the program, how a Power 5 program runs, where, like, there's a recruiting coordinator, and uh, the coaches recruit both positions and geographic regions. And that's stuff that's new to UTSA. Before, you know, under Larry Coker, it was just kind of like, well, we're a low-budget team, so we're just going to scrap together what we can. And it's matured since then. So it's really cool. I mean, just think of it like NCAA football. You start your dynasty mode, and you just build it up year after year. Even though UTSA is not turning in the wins every year, you see those off-the-field improvements every year, and you just know the potential that's there. Uh, so I think UTSA's fan base is like an eternally optimistic one, like probably to a fault, to be honest with you. Uh, but it is fun. Uh, it's fun to see people, you know, argue on the message board like, "Hey, if our new coach doesn't win nine games this year, he sucks," <laughs> which you know is just uh, totally outlandish. But you know, that's the world that we live in as UTSA fans, and you know, it's it's a fun, crazy one to be in. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm getting the vibe uh, from that last answer. You are pretty happy with where the program sits today mm-hmm. from its startup in 2011. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think you know if you keep a, a realistic expectation and you know just a frame of reference for the program, uh, they've exceeded most FBS startups in so many ways. A lot of the startups that have been more successful started out as an FCS team or a Division II team and built their way up to the FBS, whereas UTSA pretty much dove in headfirst. They had a year where they just practiced, and they had a year as an FCS independent program, and then they were in the whack, which, you know, rest in peace, it's just a crappy basketball conference now. Uh, <laughs> but it just moved so fast for UTSA. And I think as those conference change, changes happened, that a lot of people didn't adjust their expectations, and they thought, well, we were competitive uh, in our first year of Conference USA, so we should be winning the whole thing in three years, which, you know, they're anomaly seasons, and you lose seniors every year and stuff, so... Um, I'm very happy, especially with recruiting. I mean, the recruiting has improved so much for UTSA. Uh, they're one of the top recruiting programs at Conference USA and, and the G5 now. Uh, so I, I definitely like the direction. You know, if we're two, three years away, we still haven't won a bowl game. I'll start asking more questions, be a little bit more critical. Uh, but given the shoestring budget that UTSA operates on and, you know, just the level of competition at the G5 level in Texas is crazy. You know, you got Rice, U of H, SMU, UTEP, Texas State. So, you know, it's it's a tough uh, tough state to operate in. You know, there's a lot of talent, but there's a lot of competition for that, on top of all the schools coming in from out of state to poach players. So um, yeah. I'm happy where it's at. I'm happy where it's going. But, you know, there's there's definitely more opportunity, more potential for growth. I, you know, I think they could get into, like, the American Athletic Conference in the future and stuff like that. So need to get rolling the, the ball rolling with facilities, but have a new AD in place this year who's, you know, starting to make some headway there. Um, so, you know, I think from a from an outsider perspective, I think anyone would probably be impressed. But like I said, there's still room for growth for sure. That's Texas football for you, I guess. Lots of comp- <laughs> lots of competition. Um, Absolutely. Let's transition a little bit. I'll put you on the spot. Um, so, how does U- UTSA uh, stack up in the conference USA this season, and how do you predict the conference finishing as a whole? Well, finishing as a whole, you know. It- all eyes are on Boca Raton right now. You know, the, the Lane Kiffin show down there at FAU. So they're, you know, they're the heavy favorite to win the conference. Uh, Marshall's probably right behind them. They have a lot of really talented players and a pretty consistent program. But uh, UTSA, I don't know, middle of the pack at best. They lost so many playmakers from last year. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Marcus Davenport, who was selected by the Saints in the first round of the NFL draft pick this year. Um, you know, he's out the door, and a, lo- a lot of players that have been around for four or five years at UTSA that left a mark on the program are uh, have graduated and moved on to the NFL or, or wherever else. So there's a lot of unknowns, and while UTSA has recruited really, really well for their level of competition, you, these guys have to show it on the field. You know, I can't just be like, oh, this guy was a high three-star, and he had P5 offers, so he's going to step in from day one and be an immediate, you know, all-conference player. It just doesn't work like that. Sometimes it does. It often does. Uh, but got to see it on the field. So, you know, I'm expecting around five wins for UTSA, and, you know, they'll probably have some games that they look really good and they look like they're going to compete, you know, in 2020, 2019 for conference championship, and I'm sure they're going to have games where they get blown out and they look miserable. And, you know, that's just how young football teams have play. You know, it's hard to find the consistency. Sure, yeah. On the flip side, do you have a prediction for the Big 12? You know, I don't really, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I, I focus most of my energy on the G5. You know, working for Underdog Dynasty, I try to keep up with, with all the G5 conferences as much as I can. Um, but I guess right now, until Oklahoma proves me otherwise, they're kind of, you know, leading the uh, the league for me. So, you know, I don't, choice. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Smart choice. <laughs> yeah, I guess Western Virginia is probably like the hipster choice to win it. I don't know. 
Yeah, you're, you're kind of on on the same wavelength as us, but you could have won some brownie points saying that K-State was going to win the league. <laughs> but I, I'll let that pass. Uh, give us just a quick, uh, just a quick, uh, you know, hitter. Who are uh, who's a guy to watch on each side of the ball, offense, defense? If you have a special teams all star, you can throw that in there. But what are some names to watch when that game rolls around, or if anyone's watching game tape from the first two weeks before the game? Sure. So the first guy that's going to jump out on tape to you is definitely Josiah Tawiepa. So he is, uh, I believe he'll be a junior this season. And uh, he is from the Dallas area. He's a middle linebacker. And, uh, I mean, the guy is just an, an incredible football player. He uh, was a freshman All-American, actually. Uh, just runs around the field like a madman. He's got great instincts. He's very strong. Uh, there's a gif that you can find online of him jumping over and hurtling a North Texas center and then just destroying the quarterback, like, all in one fluid motion. And uh, he plays with, like, these long locks of curly hair. So definitely got, like, a Troy Polamalu uh, type of look on the field. So, you know, just as a fan of football, he's a ton of fun to watch. And, you know, he's a guy that's going to get a lot of attention in the draft if he has a good season. Um, he was a little banged up with injuries last year, but was still pretty pretty dang productive. Um, so I, I think you guys will enjoy watching him and getting familiar with him. On offense, no one super stands out. You know, lost a lot of players on offense this season. But uh, Jalen Rhodes is like a six-year running back, and uh, he's been very strong the past two years. And he'll be carrying most of the work on offense, especially uh, with a total unknown at quarterback. So he'll be the featured back, and you know, he's a he's a good shifty one-cut back, and uh, just a very sturdy guy that can make players miss in open space. So he's pretty fun to watch. All right, if you're going to come into Manhattan, Jared. And you're going to sneak out with a win. What are UTSA's keys to victory for you guys to do that? Gosh, um, I think you need you need like three or four turnovers, obviously. <laughs> um, but I don't, it's just so hard. We haven't seen this offense really. Uh, there's a new offensive coordinator, Al Borges, in town. So hoping he's going to open up the uh, playbook a little bit and run a little bit more spread offense because UTSA was really like in 11 and 21 personnel like all of 2017. Um, so I think they'll need to put more than 30 points on the board first off and uh, just get into a shootout with Kansas State and try to force turnovers however way you can and hope for the best. And the flip side of that, if K-State is going to do what probably most everyone is expecting and mm-hmm. take home the W, what is that game going to look like? I think they'll just need to physically impose their will on UTSA and wear them down. You know, even if UTSA comes out and plays like some spunky football for the first three quarters, uh, I think K-State just needs to like rely on their seniority and their physicality and just beat UTSA up in the trenches and, you know, just kind of beat them into submission until, you know, they're, they're giving up some easy plays just because they're tired or, you know, just worn out from the game. And, uh, you know, I think just, just any way a, a P5 beats a G5 is just having more talent and, really better guys on the bench. You know, you've got some three-star guys that you can plug in at the end of the fourth quarter, coming fresh, and uh, just really beat out the walk-on that the G5 team is playing. Right. Well, Scott and I are going to put you on uh, the record officially with some predictions here. So on the record, on the record, what is your score prediction for our our game? You know, I'm always such a boring score prediction guy. Uh, I get a lot of heat for that. But I'm going to go with a very safe answer of 31 for Kansas State. And... uh, We'll go 10 points for UTSA. <laughs> yeah, uh, so you, you talked a little bit. You were saying hopefully around middle of the pack for UTSA. Mm-hmm. Even if you do take the L in Manhattan, what is UTSA's final record looking like at the end of the season? 
I'm going to say five and seven right now, but I, I would say it's closer to 4.5 in my head. <laughs> I think there's there's a better chance that UTSA finishes with four wins and six, so we'll average out to five. All right. Opposite side, opposite end of the spectrum, and in your limited knowledge of if you know about K-State, what, what do you mm-hmm. think our final record is going to be? Yeah, you know, I haven't really looked at the schedule yet, and I'm not, like, super strong on Big 12 knowledge, uh, but I think 7-5 is probably a safe bet. You know, you kind of know what you're getting with the Wildcats year in and year out, so I think uh, 7-5 sounds good in my book. That's the record I've been rolling with all off season, so I'm right there with yeah, you. Cool. And then uh, something we haven't done with our other, uh, you know, opposing fans, opposing media members, uh, and this is because there's a special connection between K-State and UTSA's basketball program. That's right. Uh, one of the favorite sons of Manhattan of K-State, someone who a lot of the old balls fans really think should have his jersey in the rafters. Uh, Steve Henson is the UTSA <laughs> basketball coach. Uh, just give us like a quick, you know, one, two minutes on how Steve's done in his first, I believe, two seasons at UTSA. Mm-hmm. And what is the what are all the Roadrunners thinking about him at the basketball helm? Oh, you guys are gonna love this. Uh, Steve Henson is absolutely the man. He UTSA's basketball program was just absolutely in the dumpster uh, before he came in. And, you know, the first year, you know, you didn't have a lot of wins in the W column, but just like the style of play was so improved. And I mean, they were throwing guys out there that had no business really playing D one basketball, and you know, guys that. You wouldn't even play in Europe, you know, the professional level. Uh, but he coached them up and played at a really high tempo, and it was fun to watch. You know, the the games I watched, even though uh, UTSA would end up losing by seven points or so, it was just entertaining the whole way through. And last year we saw it where UTSA kind of became like the spoil in Conference USA, where they weren't quite athletic enough to finish in the top three, but they could beat any team in the conference on any given day. And uh, as a UTSA fan, that's like all you can ask for because our facilities are pathetic, not much tradition, um, have a really hard time recruiting players from San Antonio to play basketball there. Um, I guess because I know how bad the basketball arena is already. Uh, but yeah, I mean, UTSA has a chance to win Conference USA this year. And I mean, that's just not something I would have entertained um, three years ago or, or even really two years ago. And he's just done a great job building the program up. He's getting the fans way more invested than they've been in the past. Um, attendance is still relatively low, but the fans that do show up are into the games and they're loud and they're jumping around, which, you know, that's, that's, uh, it's been a while really since the communication center was getting turned up like that. So I'm a big fan of his, uh, I think he's going to have a really, really bright career. I mean, he's got bigger and better things ahead of him for sure. Uh, whether that's a UTSA or elsewhere. So, uh, it'll be a very bittersweet day when Steve Henson leaves UTSA. Well, I think that made a lot of uh, K-State fans happy to hear because there's a very large segment of the fan base that would love to see him get UTSA Mm -hmm. to the tournament a couple years in a row, and I think they'll be clamoring for him possibly to be the next coach. Yeah, you know, he might need another stop going from UTSA to Kansas State, and basketball is a huge dump. Um, So he might need to go to a high major first or, you know, a a lower P5 basketball program, but... Yeah, I mean, he's a fantastic coach and a really great guy. Just has a great persona too, and great energy. And I mean, it's hard to find anything negative to say about the guy. To be honest with you, that's great to hear. Honestly, that made me really happy listening to that. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jared, I think that's pretty much wraps it up for us. Thanks for coming on. Um, you already pretty much plugged all of your stuff in the beginning. But is there anything <laughs> yeah. else that you want to apply or give a shout out to? 
no, not really. Um, yeah, just you know, look up Underdog Dynasty. Uh, if you're a fan of college football at all, you'll definitely find some content on there that uh, you know will be interesting to you. We've been doing some film breakdowns, and you know, you're just gonna find coverage for schools you don't find anywhere else. So uh, be sure to check that out and give our podcast a listen. Give a pers- What's your personal Twitter? Yeah, it's at Jared UTSA. All right, I'll be sure to follow you, and we're gonna have some banter around Sounds game good. time. Oh, and that's uh, J-A-R-E-D, Jared, by the way. Perfect. Uh, I look forward to it. Maybe we'll be back in touch uh, a little bit closer to the game. We might get you back on, but we'll be sure to listen. Again, all of our listeners, be sure to check out the Alamo Audible podcast. Did I get that correct? It's Alamo Dome Audible. The Twitter Twitter is Alamo Audible. I couldn't fit that many characters in. Ah, I'm sorry. Alamo Dome Audible podcast. And then on Twitter, Alamo Audible. Correct. Nailed it. All right. There we go. (laughs) Thanks again for coming on. I look forward uh, to you. If you're going to make it up to Manhattan, reach out to us. Otherwise, uh, I love San Antonio, so I might uh, slide into your DMs and take in maybe a – UTSA game where I can be supporting the Roadrunners in the future. Yeah, that sounds awesome. We'll get some great tacos if you come down. Oh, perfect. Oh, thanks again. That sounds right, amazing. Thanks, guys. Take care. See ya. Thanks for listening. That wraps up the non-conference. Next episode, we're going to be diving into West Virginia, Texas, and Baylor. Don't miss it. Sports Social Podcast Network.